Christians are a peculiar people. To the world around us, we often appear as strange or weird, like we really don't fit in. The phrase the Apostle Peter used to describe us was elect exiles. The idea is that even though we are chosen and precious to God, in a world that's corrupted by sin, we will feel like strangers or sojourners. As the song says, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. So Christians are called to live like foreigners and exiles while still pursuing relationships with the people around us who are not like us. And Peter's first letter is written to help saints, young and old, to figure out how to do that, how to live in the world while not becoming like the world, while also seeking to win the world back to God. The following episode is one of nine where we dove into this letter with fellow saints and seekers here in Brooklyn to try and figure out how do we share the gospel with our neighbors around us when the gospel feels like it's mostly unwelcome. Hope you benefit from listening. Peace and love, everybody. Well, how about it, y'all? Why don't we go ahead five after? We're going to get this ball uh, rolling. And anybody else who comes, that'll be great. We're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 22 here in just a minute. I'm going to ask a question um, before we get going. Uh, today, we're going to be, the, the portion of text we're going to be focused on um, really keys in on a lot of things about identity, which of course, actually a lot of stuff in First Peter keys in on uh, things about our identity in Christ. And so I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us before we get going, but then I'd like just to just kind of go around. What, what have you learned about Christian identity from what we've studied the past couple of weeks as we've started out the letter that Peter wrote here? So what, what do we learn about our identity and there's, you can take that in whatever direction you want from what we've learned so far. Or, by the way, maybe you're cheating and you're reading ahead, which would be fantastic. You may have some things you want to add on from things uh, further on in First Peter uh, that we learn about our identity as followers of Jesus. Before we get into that, why don't we bow our heads and pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for giving us a new life, a new start, a new sense of meaning and purpose in this world through Jesus. We pray that as we read your word tonight, that your servant Peter recorded for us, that we would have humble and open hearts, that we'd receive joy from this word, uh, that we'd get clarity on who we are and how we're supposed to live in the world. Uh, we pray most of all, Father, that it make you love us more, uh, that would, it would make us love you more, and it would make us love one another more, and it would make us love our neighbors and those who are lost around us more. We know that's your will in all things. And we want to have that kind of passionate, fervent love. And we pray that your word would have that effect tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So let me, let me open it up here uh, for us to get started. Um, what have you learned so far from First Peter about identity as a Christian uh, and your identity in Christ? What's, uh, what's impacted you from, uh, from what we've seen in First Peter? We should live in the world as if we know this is um, only temporary. This will not be our place that we uh, stay forever, that our true home is in heaven. Okay, good. What, what, what things from the text, have, I can think of a couple things, Mark, but what things from the text have kind of made you key in on that idea or made you notice that or think about that a little more? Verse 17, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Okay. Because obviously when we get to heaven, there's nothing that we're going to have to fear at all. Sure, yeah, yeah. 
Good. Um, but yeah, and then just even that statement of during your stay, you're not going to be here forever. So that's a great one. Ruth. For holy, he calls it holy, um, verses, well, chapter one, verse 15. Good, good. Other identity statements or identity markers that you guys have noticed that have uh, been impactful for you as we've been studying First Peter? If I look at verse one, take a second to just read and, and how Peter addresses the people there right off the bat. What do you notice about the identity that he assigns um, to his readers and, you know, by extension to us? Um, how does he refer to them, to us? What does he want us to think about ourselves according to First Peter chapter 1 and verse 1? Residing as aliens, as foreigners. Aliens, which kind of goes along with your, uh, what you keyed on earlier, Mark, uh, this idea of you're just temporarily here. When we're in the world, we're supposed to think that we're kind of strange. We're exiles, aliens, foreigners, uh, sojourners, pilgrims, you, refugees, whatever word you want to use. Uh, that's, that's an important identity marker. How about this? Uh, everybody check out verse 3. And then again, verse 14. And then again, verse 17. And if you had to kind of look at those three verses, verse 3, verse 14, and verse 17... Uh, what would you say is kind of a, another important identity that we should make sure to embrace and, uh, and have adopted in our in our consciousness? Ruth, go ahead. Our sonship. Yeah, that's a big one uh, through this first chapter and a half, two chapters. The idea of being being children of God. Uh, you could argue that actually all of chapter one is just about being children of God. Verse three, I know we almost think the term born again is just a, a religious term. It's not. It's a term that the, the Bible writers used. I mean, I should say starting with Jesus, and you could argue probably going even back into the prophets. Um, this was terminology that was used to, uh, from the world, from our common experience to say, hey, but here's the kind of stuff God's doing. God has given you a new birth. God has given you a new life. God has made you be born again to a living hope. And then he goes on and talks about we have an inheritance, just like children have an inheritance from their parents, whatever that inheritance may be. We usually think money, that's not necessarily always money, but there's some sort of heritage that children have from their parents. Um, and then uh, verse 14, he talks about how we need to, that whole bit about holiness is rooted in our sonship. You are children of God, and you need to be obedient and holy, just like your father has called you. And your father is impartial, and he's going to judge all of us. So you better make sure you live up to the standard your father has set, and so on and so forth. So this idea of being children of God is a really hugely important one. And we could probably go on and just keep on thinking about this stuff as we're going to move through. In chapter 2, we're going to get more of an expansion on our, our identity in Christ. Um. But I really believe this is one of the most crucial things. We keep coming back to this passage at the end of the book where Peter said that what he wrote about, chapter 5 and verse 12, what he wrote about was the true grace of God. The true grace of God is not just, oh, I got forgiven of my sins, although it's not less than that, but it's more than that. I've been given a new identity. And along with that identity, there are other things that come with it. And that's the real blessing that we have. And the real grace of God is that everything's changed for us, not just that we've gotten off the hook for our sins. That is true but it's more than that. It's this whole transformation of our identity and our life uh, because of what God has done through Christ in us. 
Okay, let me pause before we start reading uh, at near the end of chapter one. Uh, any thoughts, comments, uh, things you guys want to say before we uh, get into some text for tonight? Just going back to verse one um, and just saying this a little different way than what you said it. Um, there's this weird juxtaposition in the book between this fact that Mark was talking about that we're strange and foreign and odd and maybe even like disliked by the world, but then we're precious and chosen and elect to God. That is like we are his children. And so learning to appreciate both sides of that coin, I think is really critical for as you're talking about for our identity as as Christians. I'm so glad you brought that because that actually speaks to this idea of being children of God. The whole chosen thing right. is you're God's children. Like you should walk around with your head held high every day. Now look, That's the right. people who aren't really cool with God, they're probably not going to be cool with you because you're God's children. You're with you're with God. You know, you're you're his his children. He's your father. So I'm really glad you pointed out that. That's so important. Uh, any other comments, uh, observations, questions, whatever about uh, these identity markers, and especially this idea of being children of God? Okay, so we're going to ask the question that every parent is nervous about their child asking them, where do children come from? Where do children of God come from? How do they come about? I want you to be thinking about that and think about that question as we get into the end of chapter one, which we kind of, I think, read last week. We'll do it again because it sets up the beginning of chapter two. I also want to highlight two of the questions that Caleb uh, put for us in the, uh, in the material. Under the read section, number one, he says, Peter's letter is rich with language from the Torah. In these verses here in 1 Peter 2, uh, he quotes or alludes to passages all over the Hebrew scriptures. And then here's the question. How do the Hebrew scriptures enrich our understanding of this text? So keep that in mind. In other words, some of you who've read a lot of things in the Bible, if you haven't, don't worry about it. You're not going to miss anything. But some of you have read other parts of scripture, and you may know some things about some of the quotations Peter's going to bring out. Um, bring those up. Like if you, if you see something, you're like, hey, actually, I think this is kind of cool because the background of this text, blah, blah, blah. Bring that up. Let's talk about it. Um, so that, that's a good one. And then uh, number four is another great question that Caleb put here in the material that really will span the entirety of our, our discussion what do we learn about our identity, our mission, and our ambition in the world? What do we learn about our identity, our mission, and our ambition in the world? All right, I'm going to read um, 1 Peter 1, verse 22 through chapter 2, verse 3. And uh, I want you to, uh, besides those two questions that, that uh, just kind of overarching throughout our study, us to consider, I want us to ask the question of, okay, we have this new identity. We're children of God. How are children of God produced? We know how human children are produced, uh, but how are children of God produced and how is their life maintained as they grow up in Christ? So just think about that question and you can either answer that question directly or you can talk about whatever you want to from these verses. Let me read it and then we'll talk about it. First Peter 1 verse 22 says, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. All right. Uh, what do these verses 
say to you? What do you see? What stands out to you here? How does this help us think about our identity in a better way? What does it tell us about how our identity is shaped and where it comes from and where it's rooted? Uh, go whichever direction you want. What do you guys see here in First Peter 1, 22 through 2, 3? What stands out to you? Um, I think like being born literally as in, you know, when a child is born and then we're baptized, we come out of the water. I think that's kind of a, um, a symbolic uh, um, act, I think. Okay. Being baptized. I think there probably are some passages where you could find some, some parallels to uh, baptism and birth and, and new birth mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. What do you guys notice here? What does he say about how we're born in this text? It's kind of interesting. How did, what, is, what does he say was the, the thing that brought about our birth in this, in this text? It says, uh, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Yeah. He, he calls the word of God uh, the seed. And I think, uh, you, you know, he's using all this children imagery and all this stuff. And uh, not to get too, you know, anatomy, biology class here, but I think he's saying the word of God is the inseminating agent that creates life. As much as human seed produces human children, the seed of God, the, the word of God, produces his children. And of course, that leads us to know about Jesus, that leads us to believe in the resurrection, to taste the kindness of God, all that stuff. This is how important the word of God is, is that it's the thing that gives us life uh, in, the, in the first place. Keep going. What else do you guys notice? What else do you like? What else do you see in these verses? That we have to desire the, I guess, the pure milk of the word um, in order to grow, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, in, in my head, I'm thinking, I'm putting it together and thinking, okay, the word, of, the, we're, we're Christians through the word of God, and we need to desire that word, and we need to put away all of these things that was in our past lives before. Amen. Well said. I think that's exactly right. Great way to summarize what Peter says. So here it's interesting, keeping with this whole children thing. Um, we are uh, conceived by the word of God. That's the seed that, that gives us birth. Uh, we're also fed like babies on the word like milk. And so he just uses different images to just say, hey, listen, any way you want to slice it, the word of God is your survival. It's the thing that gives you everything about who you are. Ruth, go ahead. Well, put the mind to some of the questions that Kayla put um, on. And to, to add what you're saying is that it's... Um, the good news, the word of God is what um, saves people to know that we ought to be preaching the word of God in order for people to actually hear and be saved. Amen. Yeah, super amen to that. I'll just say a little side note. We've already seen some of this. We'll probably be thinking about this more as we go through our discussion tonight. Really what Ruth said is kind of a, a preview of the end of the text we'll be looking at tonight. I've heard people suggest, and I think it's right, First Peter might be one of the best handbooks for how to impact people with the gospel of Christ. Of all, if you were to take any one portion of scripture, 1 Peter is one of the best sections of scripture to help us think about how we can proclaim the word of God, not only through our model and our example, but also with our actual words. If we don't speak up and talk about uh, the word of God, people aren't gonna know. And if they don't know, how are they gonna be born again uh, through the living and enduring word of God? Keep going, what else do you guys like in chapter 1, 22 through 2, 3? Uh, all this discussion. By the way, notice how this whole section is all about the Word of God, right? That's really the, the whole emphasis. I mean, you've got it there in verse 22, obedience to the truth. 
uh, verse 23, this seed is the living and enduring word of God. Verse 25, the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. And then chapter two and verse two, long for the pure milk of the word, if you have uh, grown. So there's a lot of emphasis on the word of God um, in terms of shaping us and making us into who we ought to be. What else do you notice and what do you guys like about this section? Uh, maybe there's a question, something that stands out, whatever. Mark, you got something, brother? Yeah, I love that uh, quote from Psalm 34, 8, which is in 1 Peter 2, verse 3. If you have experienced the Lord's kindness, and just think about what it says earlier about getting rid of all evil and all the seed and hypocrisy. By getting rid of all that, we can truly live in and experience and experience for ourselves the Lord's kindness and his goodness. Because if we still hold on to all that evil and deceit and anything from the past, especially that hindered our walk with the Lord, if we hold on to that, we're not going to truly experience his kindness the way that we could in the way that he wants us to. Amen. What else you guys see in here? We'll try, by the way, as anybody tags like Mark just did, hey, this is actually comes from the scripture. If you want to see if I can look at it more, we're not gonna be able to explore all these. Otherwise, well, it, it'd be, it'd take weeks and it'll be a really, really fun uh, series of study to look at all the scriptures Peter refers to just in this little chunk uh, from the end of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two. But we'll try to tag those in the chat. Um, if you want to go back and look at them, that'd be great. That'd be really enriching, I'm sure. Um, other thoughts on what Peter says about the Word of God and the Word of God's impact in our life and our identity as children of God. Um, what else do you notice? Uh, what do you see here? So last uh, last week we talked about how like God's grace is supposed to like change us and transform us, make us holy teach us to fear, teach us to love. Um, I feel like in some ways this paragraph reminds us like how it's kind of like reassuring, like how do I know that I could, that I can actually become everything God wants me to do to become. And he's kind of reminding them like you, you, you've been born again by this imperishable seed, like by this living and enduring word of God, God's word isn't going anywhere. And so the same seed that God planted in you is going to continue to grow you up and to make you what he intends for you to be. I find this to be kind of reassuring in that way. While everything else falls and fails and dies, God's word is going to be there all throughout. And so you've got everything you need if you'll, uh, if you'll just uh, taste it and, and continue to find nourishment in it. You've got everything you need to grow up into a close relationship with God. Super amen. Super Ruth. Like Caleb said, in terms of like taking inventory of seeing where you at and, and it's how you love other people. Good. Our life comes from the word of God. Our life is also dictated by the word of God. And of course we know God's commandments all lead back to this. And I don't want to belabor that point too much because we talked about it a good bit last week. Like if, if we're not learning to love or maybe to put it in the language of verse 22, if we're not learning to have a sincere love of the brethren where we fervently love one another from the heart. We're not feeding on the word of God. We may be feeding on something. We may be feeding on some kind of religious activity or whatever, but we're not feeding on the word of God because the word of God produces a sincere, deep, passionate love um, for God, for his children, and for even those who are not yet his children, who he wants to be his children. That's the way it's got to be. I know this passage specifically highlights the, the love of, of the brethren but certainly that applies for our love for God and our love for our neighbors. Uh, 
So let's talk about this. This is a little bit of an opinion one. So uh, let's, let's kind of chew it and, and kind of kick it around here. Um, verse two says of chapter two, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it, you may grow. This comes back to Caleb's point just a minute ago that, Hey, it's actually a really hopeful thing. We can grow. If you feel like you're not uh, mature, you're not super godly yet. Well, Hey, I mean, I, I don't know if I should say, don't worry about it. You should be concerned about that, but don't be worried about it in the sense of like, Oh, I'm hopeless. No, no, no. You can grow. You just keep on feeding. Just like a baby. We're not concerned when a baby is uh, tiny and flopping around on the floor and can't talk and or hold it. We're not concerned about that. We're only concerned about it if the baby doesn't eat and if the baby doesn't grow up as it eats, you know? So we just keep, he says, just keep eating and you'll keep growing up. Now here's the difference in biological terms. If you eat food, I mean, there's going to be something really wrong for that not to produce good results of growth. Of course, for us, there are a lot of things that could hinder our growth. And uh, he highlights a few here at the beginning of chapter two. Uh, Caleb asked a question in the reflection uh, portion of, of the material. So I'm just going to ask this and maybe you, you guys might want to spin it out in a little different direction. That's okay. Uh, but in the reflect uh, section of the material for tonight, number five says, what am I craving? If it's not the pure spiritual milk, what are the things I need to put away because they are keeping me from craving it? I mean, we should look at this list and say to ourselves, all right, what's the stuff? that I'm really into, that I really fill up my heart and my soul and my mind with, that actually kind of prevents me from being hungry for God's word. Uh, I'm going to ask this question for our discussion at this point. That's a, that's a really important re personal reflection we all need to do. And if anybody wants to share, feel free. Uh, welcome, welcome for that. Um, but here's what I'd like to ask. How is it that the things in verse one, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, I don't think it's a, all-inclusive list, maybe there's other things like it. How do those things and things like those things, how do they mess us up, prevent us from craving the Word of God? I think that's the implication of verses 1 and 2. you got to put aside this stuff so that you'll be craving the Word of God. If you stay hypocritical, if you stay envious, if you stay slandering, if you stay doing all these things that verse 1 outlines, you're not going to be hungry and thirsty for the Word of God. Why do you guys think that is? How does that work? That if we stay in sin, if we stay in all these evil things, then it's actually going to prevent us from hungering for the pure spiritual milk of the word of God. What do you guys think about that? Um, I think it takes up a lot of your like, brain power and your I mean, it definitely takes away your humbleness because you're always thinking about yourself and how things are affecting you and who's done what to you and, you know, what right. you can get. Yeah. That's a great point. It's a great point. I like the way he said it. It just takes up brain power. He mentions deceit. Y'all know, y'all who, who struggle with lying or maybe even still struggle with lying and deception it takes a lot of energy to keep all your lies straight, you know, just to even remember what you're doing. You don't have time to be focused on Bible study when you're trying to keep all your lies straight and your image that you're trying to keep up and all that sort of thing. Other thoughts about how these sins and sins like them listed in verse one um, hold us back from really uh, desiring the pure milk of the word. Oh. 
Well, I think, um, <clears throat> I think sin in general is like this black hole, I guess, where uh, the more it's practiced is the more it kind of sucks you in. It's kind of like this cycle of doom. And so um, I, I think it, it naturally kind of leads you to this place where you're not desiring something that's good, something that's positive. I mean, it really takes a mental change to kind of get out of, you know, I don't know if that makes sense. That's, that's kind of just what I was thinking of. I love that. That's a great description. I think so. Keep it going. Other opinions, other thoughts on how the stuff listed in verse one prevents us from doing verse two. Tony. Um, as I'm looking over these things, it, all of them look very um, like self-centered, self-preservation kind of sin here. Like where, you know, your malice and deceit, hypocrisy, it's all kind of like takes your mind off of God. And uses all your energy, all your mental energy, as, as was said earlier, to, to kind of preserve yourself. And when it's all said and done, you don't have any room or drive to learn who God is and, and, and what are our duties to him. Um, and I think it, it just keeps your mind focused on this flesh and, and protecting it um, and trying to get it ahead of, of the next individual, I guess. Um, and I guess I, I'm not really complete on this thought yet, but I, I, kind of where I'm going, it's a very self-centered thing. Um, and when you're sitting there trying to think about yourself and protect yourself and, and, and protect yourself in this flesh all the time, you, you just don't have the energy to come back and say, hey, what does God want? You know, how, do, how can I uh, conform to the word of God more? Um, I guess that's all I have for now. <laughs> Well, that's a pretty good, I don't know what your complete thought in, in these people. That sounds pretty complete to me. I mean, I think you're exactly right. Whenever, and, and like you said, it's, it, all these are things where we're self-consumed. Well, then you come across a scripture, which boy, just about every page, you're going to come across something that's calling you to get outside of yourself, to think about someone else rather than yourself, think about God, right? And you're not going to like it. You're not going to be hungry for that. You're not going to be thirsty for that because you're filled up on yourself. So I, I love that, Tony. That's well said, Ruth. Yeah, when um. When he, um, Tony was talking, I thought about James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, and um, talked about like what wisdom we kind of glean to, whether it's earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. So think about like identity. If we focus on the things that are worldly or of the flesh or whatever thing we're going to do, whatever produces that. And it's going to be evident in our relationships. It's going to be evident, evident in our pride and stuff but if we focus on the things of god that will be easy for us to kind of walk in love amen love that other thoughts on the collision of uh first peter 2 verse 1 and first peter 2 and verse 2 any any other thoughts that you guys have i'm not looking for anything in particular i just think it is valuable for us to consider it especially that reflection that we all need to look inside what's my stuff what's is it one of these things on the list or maybe it's some other things that i allow to fill up my heart and block me make me not hungry uh, for, for the word of God like I need to be. So I don't want us to run away from this, but I'm not, I'm not trying to belabor the point or uh, stay here longer. But any other thoughts you guys have on uh, verses one and two and how they kind of work together? Uh, just uh, to, Go ahead, Jessica. Sorry. Okay, sorry. Um, so I just have like one quick thing. So if you think about like how um, Christians are, you know, born again, um, and I like that was already talked about, but, thinking about like, you know, the word, basically when it boils down to it, it came from love. So 
you know, Jesus' act of love is what gave us the word and the ability for us to be saved. Um, and that love and how pure it is. Um, because when we think about how pure his love is and how holy he is, if we are trying to hold on to some things of the world, um, that, you know, secular nature, it can't reside in us. Like it's going to be constantly be at war. So if we're saying that, Hey, we're born again and we're Christians. Um, but we're also trying to hold on to like malice and deceit. They can't coexist in us. Um, so it kind of like puts that at juxtaposition. So you kind of see that you're always going to be infighting with yourself. Um, if you are trying to hold on to those things. That's an awesome point. And, and I like that you, you zeroed in here. The word that was preached to us, and by the way, the word, uh, that section at the end of chapter one is a reference from Isaiah chapter 40. And you go back and read Isaiah 40, that's talking about the word of the gospel of Jesus. That's the word that was preached to you. And of course, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the opposite of every single thing in verse one. It's not an act of, Jesus didn't come in an act of malice. It came, he came in an act of compassionate, self-sacrificing love. He certainly didn't come with deceit. He came in truth. He didn't come hypocritically. He came with full transparency and, and, uh, and, and reality of who he really was. You can go through the whole thing. And so that's, you're exa exactly right, Jeff. So we can't, they're just not going to go together and we got to get the one out. Caleb. Uh, Jessica said that better than I was going to say it. I was just basically going to say that we, you can't crave, it's, it's hard to crave multiple things at once. So like if you're, if you're, if you're set on like getting back at somebody for doing something evil to you, or you're set on trying to cover up some bad things you've done, or you're set on trying to put on a front, like it's hard to actually really do that and also crave the pure spiritual milk at the same time. Amen. Amen. Tony. Um, Denise. That, that, oh, I see Denise coming out of the woods there. That's good. Come on, Denise. <laughs> <laughs> you know, got to find Bigfoot. Um, I, I, I think, when I look at uh, verse one, it talks about putting away all these things, these malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and being slander. And I guess I was thinking of it as in the world, people don't see these as sins. These are like things everybody do on a regular, you know, um, like I work and the slander goes on every way, the malice, the deceit, everyone coveting everybody else's stuff. And like, I feel like when I first came out of the world and came to Christ, like these remained with me for a while. Um, and, you know, just like the newborn babies, they have, they can't handle solid food uh, right off the, the start. So we got to crave the, 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 the milk. And I think the milk is like the foundations of God's word. And through that, that's going to transform us. And I think as it transforms us, these malice, deceits, envy, and slander, um, quickly goes away um, in the sense that now God's word convicts us of it when we start practicing these things so that later on we can crave these bigger spiritual foods or bigger meals that we can handle it more appropriately. Otherwise, if we don't have the foundation of this milk, this uh, spiritual foundation of like, you know, what we've been saved from and, you know, the stuff that was talk talked about in chapter one about being holy, um, that we can never move on. We're going to keep practicing these things. So well that said. was my point. Amen. Amen. 
Um, I was thinking the same as Denise in terms of like, if you go back to um, 122 where we started, it's like we start with the word, right? The word is that seed and it's the word that's going to help us lay aside malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy. Like, you know, I'm not going to sit here personally for me and pretend like, oh yeah, I could just do all those things on my own, right? It's the word that's going to help me lay them aside. And then as I lay them aside, I'm going to desire more words. So it's like, we start with the word, we continue with the word and we end with it. And that reminds me again of the, um, like you said, the, I, the quote from Isaiah 46 to 8, right? He does say the word of the Lord endures forever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. So I want us to read the rest of our text here, but before we move on, I just want to just say one thing to kind of tie off this part of the text and, and put it in real life terms as, I guess, honestly, a little bit of admonition and a warning. Um, you know, so, so um, a guy comes to Jesus He's tired of his old life. He's tired at least of the effects of it. And he's heard that Jesus might work. And he, he goes and finds a friend who's a Christian or goes to a church. He meets, they tell him the good news about Jesus. And they talk about his purity and his, uh, the hope that he gives and the peace that he offers and, and the expectations. And the person says, okay, fine. Like, I, I think I'm, I'm in love with Jesus enough. I'm drawn to him enough that I'm willing to give it up. And so that person, he repents of his sins. He's baptized into Christ. And some things change, but he keeps some of his pet sins, you know. He keeps on watching pornography. He keeps on being obsessed with getting more money all the time. He keeps on just being a jerk to people at the store or at work or whatever. And, uh, and he kind of suppresses them, but he just keeps them there. And then some weeks and months, maybe even years go by, and he's still hanging on, you know. He still considers himself a Christian. He still more or less acts like a Christian, but he's got these little pet sins but, but it's just so frustrating because he just, he's not really growing. He knows it. And you can kind of, he, everybody can kind of tell. And most of all, he can tell. And he goes to a friend of his, that friend who taught him the gospel in the first place. And he says, man, I don't know. Like, I'm just not growing. You know, the person says, well, you've been reading your Bible. And he's like, no, nah, man, I've never been able to get into that. Well, why not? He believed it at first. But why not? It's because he's kept his life full of all these sins. Uh, I'm just telling you, that's a super true story. Maybe some of you know that's the true story. That you've looked at yourself and been like, I haven't really craved the Word of God, or I haven't ever gotten into Bible reading, for instance, uh, or paying attention to the Word of God, because I kept a bunch of sins in my life. The more sins you keep in your life, the less you're going to want the Word of God. And the less the Word of God is in your life, you're not going to be able to grow. And so uh, may we all take this as an exhortation and admonition to truly repent and to keep on repenting. You know, repentance isn't a one-time thing whenever you first purify your soul in obedience to the truth. It's a continual action of obedience to the truth and therefore, therefore being purified. Otherwise, you'll never really grow. Caleb? Yeah, and just to kind of say that in a different way to the solution he gives here um for how to learn to crave the the pure spiritual milk is you have to taste and see that the lord is good um if you think about like babies what what leads a baby to crave their mother's milk well it's at the moment they taste it and they see like this is where my nourishment is coming from and once they taste it then there's a there's a constant longing and constant craving for it because they know that's what's going to satisfy their stomach that's what's going to satisfy them and i think just to to think about this, like if I'm having a problem giving up sin, if I'm having a problem giving up all this stuff that we've been talking about, the solution is I have to go and taste and see just how good God is. 
And the more I come to, and this is why it can't just be about like reading the Bible for the Bible's sake. Like when we study the scriptures, we're looking for God. We're looking to see who is God and to see the goodness of God. And the more that we come to see the goodness of God, the more we're going to crave him and we're going to long for him. We're going to love him and we're going to seek him uh, more diligently. And we're going to start putting this stuff away because we see just how truly wonderful he is. Super amen to that. I'll just say along those lines, uh, whenever I have conversations with people and it's not very infrequent, that happens a lot where people say this kind of stuff. My first, to go along with Caleb's last point there, my first thing is like, when was the last time you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? And it's usually a very long time since people have done that. Like, all right, well, you need to start with those four because that's where you see the real goodness of God is in the person of Jesus Christ himself. Um, so last thing before we move on, I just want to say, if anybody's sitting here and you're like, this is kind of me, like, I don't feel like chapter one, twenty through two through two, three is me. I don't crave the word of God. And I kind of have all this stuff in my life. Uh, send us a message. Let us know. I don't know. I don't care who me, uh, me and Caleb obviously are always available here for this kind of stuff, but really anybody that you know on here who loves God is really seeking God, reach out so that you can get some encouragement and uh, figure out how to pursue this. Okay, um, let's keep on reading. I'm going to read verses 4 through, uh, through 10, and, uh, and let's talk about it a little bit. So we've seen our identity comes from the Word of God. Our life is, is birthed. The seed that, that uh, conceives us is the Word of God, and the milk that sustains us as children is the Word of God. What, is that, what does our identity as children of God, though, mean in terms of our relationships uh, in the world and to other people. Verse four, and coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. The precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected became the very corner and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What do these verses tell you about how uh, our identity that's been shaped, birthed, and is sustained by the word of God, that we're children of God? What does this text tell you about what that means for our relationship uh, to God, to the world around us? Um, what, what do you see here about what, what, this, uh, what our identity means for how we relate to the world around us? And if you connect verses four and five, where it says, uh, according coming to him is a living stone, which has been rejected by men. We're also going to be living stones. According to verse five, we're also going to be rejected. Yep. So as Christ was rejected, we're going to be rejected as well. Excellent. Back to that outsider status that we, we have in terms of the world, right? We're insiders with God, but we're outsiders uh, to the world. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, Tony. Yeah, I was going to uh, comment on that. The, um, you know, the living stones, we are part of the work that he's doing to build a spiritual house, you're saying, here. Um, in another place in the scripture, he's calling us a holy priesthood. So as far as our conduct is 
to be around the world and are in the house of God. You know, we need to, just as we need to live as sons of God, we also need to live as that priesthood of that, that those builders of that spiritual house or those building blocks of that spiritual house that is unseen to, with, with human eyes. Um, and view ourselves as that as well. I think I have a lot of struggle with that when I'm at work or in the world among people. I try to not make people uncomfortable, but sometimes I may uh, kind of forsake that priesthood while I'm around my coworkers and stuff like that. But I do, and in doing so, you know, I, I kind of, I guess, sugarcoat the whole royal priesthood thing. Um, and I think that it's very important to, to re, you know, return to these kind of scriptures to remind ourselves that, that we are a royal priesthood of, of the God who created everything. When he brought his law down, you know, the mountain shook, <laughs> you know, there was pillars of smoke and, and flashes of lightning and horns and everybody was so frightened after 10 commandments, they, they asked him not to speak anymore. We are a priesthood of that, that entity. You know what I mean? It, it, it's not something to be taken lightly. And I think that um, we need to remember that as we conduct ourselves in the world and in, in, uh, in God's house. Huge. Amen. Huge. Amen. Y'all keep, keep chasing this. What else uh, speaks to you guys? Maybe it's this idea of being rejected by the world that Mark's highlighted. Uh, Tony's point out, I think there is like the, the overarching message of this text, there's a big emphasis on this idea of being priests, you know, and being a priesthood. There's other identity markers as well, but uh, keep, keep chasing this. What else do you guys see here about um, who we are in the world and how that should shape uh, the way we think of ourselves, the way we behave, our ambitions, our mission, whatever. Keep going, Ruth. Um, when I read this, sometimes I think of, um, well, I'm mindful like, okay, that, the, um, the cornerstone of the who, who the cornerstone is and yeah. that Christ is the cornerstone and of course because I'm in Christ I'm going to be rejected but I'm not supposed to be a jerk and sometimes people can take that as okay let me be offensive but I think you know people disobey God because of they just want to disobey God not because it shouldn't be reject the gospel because of us because we are going out our way to be offensive in the name of Christ. I hope you understand what I mean. <laughs> uh, I liked what you said, so I hope I understood it. But I'll, I'll talk a little bit. You can correct if I, if I missed the point, Ruth. I think you're right. I, I think it's significant that the other time, maybe I'm forgetting one, so might remind me if I'm forgetting, but I think the other time that this passage, this uh, cornerstone bit is quoted is in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 21. There may be another reference in the New Testament, I'm forgetting, maybe in Luke also. Uh, but either way, it's the passage that Jesus highlighted as he was going in to give his life for the sins of the world, where he gave his life up. Now, I know he had some hard things to say. He did his priestly ministry of teaching the truth there to the, to the, uh, the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, and all those guys. But ultimately, what the climax was, was him offering himself up uh, as a sacrifice for the world. We should think of ourselves in that way. He actually said that back in chapter 2 and verse 5. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Not you're better than everybody else. Make sure they, they, they know. So treat them like jerks and they're stupid. No, that's not what we do. We follow in the footsteps of Jesus, the cornerstone who offered himself up as a sacrifice. 
keep going. Um, other thoughts here uh, that, that shape our identity and our place in the world, how we relate to the world around us, how we see ourselves with God uh, working in the world. What else do you guys see here in verses four through 10? Just adding on to what Mark said a minute ago about him being rejected by men. Um, the next phrase in verse four is, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So here we see it again, this idea that of elect exile, Jesus was the first, you know, maybe not the first, but he was the elect exile who showed us how to live as elect exiles. And so really what we're seeing in the book of P in Peter's letter is that everything that God is calling us to do, we're going to be rejected by men. We're going to be going through uh, challenges and trials, but everything that God is calling us to do, Jesus has already showed us the way. He was the choice, precious living stone um, that God raised up and, and proved to be his chosen one. And in the same way, God's going to do the same thing for us. You may be rejected. You may be uh, you know, um, reviled, you may be um, made fun of, but, it, but ultimately God is going to show you and reveal you as his living stones, as his choice and elect precious people. Amen. Amen. And we should see beauty in this lifestyle. It's easy to kind of just feel sorry for ourselves as Christians. But in that follow-up, verses six through eight, he says, hey, listen, like, they think he's ridiculous. They think Jesus is just foolishness, and they reject him. But it ain't that way for us. You who believe see the precious, but you see things the way God sees them. And the implication is, you know what? There's some other people out there that they don't see God yet. But you didn't see God for a long time. You didn't see the precious value, but you came to taste that the Lord was good. You came to have your soul purified in obedience to the truth. You came to see the precious worth of Jesus. And if you would follow in his footsteps, if you too would be a living stone, if you too would be a priest in the world like Jesus was, if you would adopt his identity of an elect exile, a son of God, then people could see the precious value of Jesus through your life too. You could make a difference to, as, uh, as Tony said, keep building up that house of God in the world. We need to think of ourselves as on that mission and to know that it, it can come true. Sometimes one of the reasons that we're not as uh, passionate or as dedicated to our priestly ministry in the world is we just think it won't work. Again, nobody loves God. Nobody wants to love God. Nobody's going to come to God. Well, we did. So what makes us think nobody else is going to? We saw the precious value. They can too. Let me ask this. We're kind of keying on the priesthood thing, and, uh, and I love that. Well, there's so many great Old Testament references. I'll just say Isaiah 61 is one passage that's a great uh, Old Testament reference prophesying of our priesthood. But look at verses 9 and 10. Just uh, doesn't matter, free for all. Um, what of the other identity statements in verses 9 and 10 really speak to you? When you read it, you're like, man, that's amazing that I'm a part of fill-in-the-blank, whatever, whatever. Uh, statement is made as he just, he just kind of rattles off a bunch of Old Testament references, mostly, by the way, about Israel, um, come from like Exodus 19, Deuteronomy 7, and I think maybe one or two other places I may be forgetting. Um, but what, uh, which of those identity markers uh, really speak to you and really uh, encourage you, excite you, whatever? Let me go Candace and then Tony and then whoever else. So I, I really like that, like the chosen generation well, they have the priesthood, he has the priesthood again, and then a holy nation and his own special people. And I guess I was just thinking about the fact that he's writing to Gentiles, right? And he's pretty much using terminology that would have been used for the people of God, for the Jews. And I guess 
I mean, if, if I was one of the people he was writing to at that time, I'd be like, man, like, you know, wow. I was pretty, I'm a Gentile. I was pretty much rejected. And now he's saying you're a chosen generation, a holy nation, God's special people. Um, and I just find that comforting. Amen. I love that. Tony. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, you know, for me, it's that we belong to God. We are God's people, a nation of God's people that, you know, it, it's something that we say a lot as Christians, but I, I think that it doesn't really have the impact that it ought to. Um, you know, when you think about God and who he is and just try to fathom some, some of the, the attributes of like, he was always there. Like we, we can't even comprehend how can something always be there without a beginning or an end. You know, we think that the, the closer we could come is like a loop or something, but it's not that either. You know, it's, it's, um, and just the distances between us and the next star and how he created that he created the beams of light in between us and that star and everything and we are belonging to that god we belong to him we are his people and that power and that everything is is looking out for our best interest you know yeah it's awesome i have i have something to say please uh along with what tony and candace said like i guess the uh, biggest impact in verse nine for me is that uh, where it says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous, marvelous light. And I think for me, the reason why that's such an impact is knowing where I came from in the darkness, you know, uh, and the result of that darkness that now I have been elevated from this sinful, um, wretched person that deserved uh nothing but death to now being elevated into this marvelous light into this new race and this new high priesthood or royal priesthood and my responsibility is to proclaim the excellencies of god of letting people know how good god is you know as, as you said in your comment before about taste and see that the lord is good like um the, this is one of the, the things we ought to be thinking about saying, you know, God is so good because, you know, he has elevated us out of the murk and, and brought us to such a, a, a beautiful state, you know. Um, I, for me, I, I've been reading like the book of Ezekiel and I think of like Ezekiel chapter, I think 15 or 16, where it's describing like this baby in their blood, like God describing Israel. And God elevated Israel like by washing her and putting all these jewels and beauty on her, you know, before she decided she wanted to go do her thing. But like God took something of pretty much dirt and, and made it beautiful. And now, you know, it was re Israel's responsibility to shine and she didn't. And now we like Israel have been brought out of this murky, uh, bloody mess and now we have to shine. We have to show God's excellency. We have to show the beauty of God, uh, not only through our lives, but to proclaim him, to, to speak about him. So that was my comment. Love that. Love that. It was awesome. Keep going, guys. What else do you like about verses 9 and 10 in particular? And we've seen Jesus has come. He's this living stone, chosen and precious. We're all being built up into this house that's rooted in him. And yeah, yeah, the world rejected him. They're going to reject us. But we know the precious value that Jesus has. And that means we know the precious value that we have. And you guys have kind of been unpacking that. Uh, what else do you like about verses nine and 10, Ruth? 
Well, for me, maybe this, I mean, this year, especially with the political climate and the rise of nationalism in, you know, the <laughs> church, um, just reminding us that we are a holy nation. Um, so we're not, like America is not the end all beyond. Um, and our nation surpasses time and land. So, yeah. That's right. Yeah. And I love that one too. You know, there's a, there's an older um, uh, preacher that I know and he's lived in different parts of the world and uh, you know, preaching the gospel just knows a lot of Christians in a lot of places, the bottom line. And that's true for some of y'all as well, but he would always talk about, he'd say every, yeah, I just think about, especially on the first day of the week. So I would think about every hour, just different parts of the globe, saints getting together and all of us doing the same thing, worshiping the same God, believe in the same uh, uh, gospel and just being changed that way. We're a part of a nation that spans space and time that's doing incredible stuff by the power of God. Uh, Mark just put in the chat here. Mark, if you want to expand on this, jump on in here. But I love this comment. I love how we have unlimited access to God's mercy. Once you had not received God's mercy, but now you have. And uh, that's a reference, by the way, to from Hosea. And you go read Hosea chapters 1 through 3. It's even more impactful that the mercy is actually really similar to what Denise pointed out from Ezekiel 16. The mercy is God, mercy that God gave to a, an unfaithful bride who prostituted herself out to the nations. But God says, I'm going to be merciful to you anyways. I'm going to draw you back to myself. It's incredible. Mark, you want to expand on that a little bit too? Yeah, I'm just thinking about where in the world, when we were in the world before we came to Christ, we had no mercy. We didn't have mercy upon ourselves. But now we have God's mercy. And that's something that we need to think about. And remember, especially if we're inclined to go back to our sinful nature, even when we realize we're not going back to our sinful nature, when those evil thoughts come in, when those selfish thoughts, uh, those selfish desires come in, we have to think, you know what, we have God's mercy now. We shouldn't even think about acting like this. Yeah. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's right. Get that other stuff out. Keep on feeding on what he's given us. Caleb. Um so that that phrase, uh, this elect race or this chosen race, uh, stood out to me for similar reasons to Ruth. Um, actually, there's a there's an early Christian, like the second century, who wrote a letter. I posted it here in the chat. What he said, um, he said, "You would like to know the source of the loving affection that they have for each other. You wonder too why this new race or way of life has appeared on earth and now and not earlier." Um, and just point out the idea that Christians thought of themselves as a new race of people. Um, Paul actually speaks like this in 1 Corinthians 10, 32, where he says, give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. And you think about in such a racially polarizing society that we live in right now, we ought to see ourselves as part of a chosen race. That is before I'm black or white, before I'm, uh, you know, African or, or American, I am first a Christian. I'm, I'm somebody who's been rooted in Christ. And that's my family. That's my seed. That's my genealogy is the, the family of Christ. Amen. I want to, tag back into uh, what Mark was saying, because all these things, being a holy nation, being this chosen uh, generation, this chosen race, being this royal priesthood, being all these things that God's given, being God's children was an act of mercy. It's not anything that we can beat our chest about. Actually, remember, that's how the book started. Chapter one and verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. 
when you look from chapter one and verse three to chapter two and verse 10, it's bookended with this concept of mercy and this whole, this is kind of like one big unit. You have a new identity, not because you were so good or so clever, or we all got together and really came up with something, but we have a new identity, a shared identity we have in Christ because of the mercy of God. And the only natural response back to what Denise said is the second half of verse nine. He's done all this, not so that we can look at ourselves in the mirror and just adore ourselves. Wow, look at what God's done for me. And I'm so precious and this is great. No, he's done it for us so that we would do what's only natural when someone does something great for you. What's only natural when you become a part of something important. What's only natural whenever you feel like something's changed in your life. You talk about it. We should be people who proclaim the excellencies, not of what we've become or what we're doing, but who proclaim the excellencies of the one who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And yeah, that's going to be strange because we live in a dark world. So that's part of why we're exiles is because we're children of light. Um, but he says to us in verse 11, hey, beloved, children of God, family, I urge you as strangers and aliens to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against your soul. Because by the way, if you run around talking about, oh, God is so great. He saved me from my sins. He's so wonderful. You should love him too. And you keep on living in sin. What is that? That doesn't make sense. That's dumb. I mean, it's, by the way, it's going to be bad for you, but it's just foolishness for you to run around and think about how great it is to be one of God's children, but you never become holy as the Holy One who has called you to be, if you're never obedient as God's children, if you're never loving like His truth has commanded you love, then what are we even doing? Look, we can't keep on giving in to the old stuff because all things have become new for us. We have this new identity, and that has an impact on our lifestyle. But notice how he combines these ideas of identity, lifestyle, and mission. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles or the people of the nations around you. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they're going to talk trash about you. They're going to think you're trash. They think you're strange and maybe even bad for society or whatever. But as they observe your good deeds, they may glorify God in the day of visitation. You have a new identity. You're children of God, the holy nation, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, all that stuff. And that means you need to live accordingly. Be obedient to the Father, who's also our judge. Make sure that you're holy, even as the Holy One who has called you is. Put aside all that bad stuff and long for the pure milk of the word. Change your lifestyle and therefore accomplish your mission. Chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be God. We should live lives just like you would kind of want your children to bless your name, to honor you. We should be blessing God in the world. We should be people who proclaim his excellencies, chapter 2 and verse 9. We must be people who lead others to glorify God now and at all times. We have a new identity, which dictates that we, have, we must adopt a new lifestyle that will allow us to accomplish our mission in the world. The lifestyle stuff is really what we're gonna talk about in, in earnest um, uh, next week, Lord willing, as we keep moving in chapter two, he's gonna get a little more specific. Here's how you live in a different way around the nations so that people can see what God's done in your life and they can come to glorify him as well. So we'll get into that more. Obviously, most of what we talked about is the identity stuff so far. Let me pause. Um, that's pretty much all I wanted to say for tonight. What do you guys want to add? Any thoughts, comments, observations, um, uh, questions, corrections, clarifications, whatever. Um, anybody want to jump in here before we wrap it up?
All right. That was fun. Really encouraging. Uh, really enjoyed this as always. Um, Nelson, are you on there, brother? Yeah. Do you mind saying a prayer for us as we, as we wrap it up tonight? Yeah. Let's pray. God, our Father, thank you, Lord, for giving us this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these words. They are ancient words, but they live today and they have life. Uh, the words that came not from man, but the words that came from you to change us, to make us more like you. And we pray that, God, these words will find um, our hearts, will find um, the place um, that we've been wrong, and that this word will find us when we are lost, will lead us on your ways, and uh, will help us to understand better what is to be a citizen, citizen of heaven and how to live in that way and how to follow your footstep and how to come the glory for your name in this crooked generation. Thank you, God, for Ben, for, for being a, such a great facilitator and all our brothers will share great comments of encouragement and peace and joy. Thank you, God, for all this. We pray all this to Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.